Amen. Well, if you have your Bible, please open it to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. We have uh, just a whole lot to cover this morning, so we are going to be flying. So I hope you got your running shoes on, put your seatbelt on. We are going to be moving fast. Uh, if this is your first time here, again, you heard me say earlier that, uh, that, we, that I'm the campus pastor of Grace Point Church, Rogers. And just to, to bring you up to date real quick about what's going on and some of the, uh, in, in this message, I'm going to be sharing some of the things that uh, have been going on over at the Rogers campus. But it was about five months ago on September 11th of 2010 when Grace Point Church Rogers went in, or we, we established ourselves in East Rogers in the downtown area as a church to take the church to that area. As we saw churches moving out, we saw businesses moving out. The only thing that we didn't see moving or leaving were the people. And so God placed it on my heart. God placed it on Mike McDaniel, our lead pastor's heart. God placed it on 17, pe- 17 families from Grace Point, Bentonville, to go over and establish a church down there. And it was on September 11th of last year that we launched and we got going. Uh, during that time, God has been doing just some, some really big things in my life. God has been doing some big things in the lives of the 17 families that went over there. And, and one of those things is, and I can, I'll speak specifically for me, but even as I look around, if I were to look at those families and say, what's God doing? I would say that he is stripping away a lot of what we think the Christian life is about. He's been, he's been taking the fluff, he's been taking the building, he's been taking the, the comfortable things of church, when, when we come in, those things have totally disappeared for us. And so even as I've been watching and I've been going, God, okay, we have 17 families who most of them don't even live in the Rogers area. Most of them come from Bella Vista, Centerton, Bentonville, uh, Springdale, lots of those areas. I've been going, God, how do, wh- what are the basics of our faith? What are the things that I need to know? Pete Finfrock, as the campus pastor, as the lead of these people, what are the things that we have to know, that we have to do, that we have to be a part of uh, to accomplish your to accomplish your will, to accomplish your plan. And so in this time, God has just been stripping away in my life uh, just a lot of the fluff. And my question has been, has been, God, what are we doing? What do we do as Grace Point Church Rogers? What does Pete Finfrock, as a man of God, what do I do? What, what is it for these families? What are the things that we need to do? And I believe in Matthew chapter 9, those, those questions are answered where Jesus says, this is, the, this is the mission that we're going to be a part of. This is the, the motivation, the motivator that drives that mission, and this is the mode. This is how we're going to go about accomplishing that plan. And so today, that's where we're going. If we don't understand the things that I'm going to be uh, sharing with you today, if, we're not, if we don't understand those things, if we're not a part of those things, then we are going to miss the essentials of what God has for us. Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 14. If you don't have your Bible, the verses will be up on the screen. And just so you know, this, this first passage, again, we're covering a lot of different scriptures today. Uh, Matthew 9, 14 through, uh, through 17, it's just going to be kind of, it's going to set the context for where we're going. We're not going to be diving into this passage. The rest of the scriptures is where we're going to be going. Matthew 9, starting in verse 14. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts on a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. 
Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, so both are preserved. Again, this is we're, all we're doing is going to set the context for where we're going. We're not diving into this. It would take us a little bit uh, away from where I feel like we need to go. Basically what happens, Jesus is standing there, and, and some believers, some Christians who are part of just uh, another group, they are, they're the, the disciples of John the Baptist, they come to Jesus and say, Jesus, we got a question for you. This is a, it's a spiritual question. It's, it's, it's about a spiritual discipline. We see that you guys are doing, or that we're doing, that you guys aren't. Can you help us with that? And so just, just place yourself in there. All we're doing right here is setting the context. Jesus is having a theological, spiritual conversation with some men. That's all that's going on. There is a group setting where Jesus is answering questions that they have. Listen to this. While he was saying these things, while Jesus was answering the spiritual question that they had, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come, listen to the words that Jesus uses here, but, or excuse me, that the ruler says, Lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples, and behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and what? And touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in. And what did Jesus do? He took her by the hand, and the report of this went throughout, went throughout all the district. Right, we're going to stop right there. Catch you back up. Here's what's going on. Jesus is in the middle of a spiritual conversation with guys who, man, they've got a question. Jesus, we fast. You guys don't. What do we go on? So Jesus, or what do we do? So Jesus answers the question. As that's happening, a ruler, a man with power, authority, money, nice clothes, comes up to Jesus, and he gets on his knees in front of Jesus and says, Jesus, Come and lay your hand on my daughter who is dead, totally dead. No heartbeat, no pulse, nothing. Jesus, come and touch her and she'll be made well. Now, here, here's my question is, is why, did Je- or why did the ruler ask Jesus to come and touch her? Why, did, why didn't the ruler say, Jesus, just speak the words and she'll be healed? Jesus, do this and she'll be healed. Here, here's how smart I am. I'm, I'm going to answer my own question. Jesus, or there the ruler understood that when Jesus placed his hands on a person, they were healed. You see, Jesus had a reputation. Whether the ruler had heard about the things that Jesus had done, whether the ruler had seen that Jesus Jesus had healed people by touching him, here's what the ruler knew, is that when Jesus stepped into someone's life and physically touched them, they were healed. You see, Jesus' touch equaled healing to them. When Jesus touched someone, they were healed. As, as Jesus is on his way to, this, to, to the house of the ruler whose daughter had just died, a woman comes up to Jesus. And I don't, whether she says it in her mind or whether she says it with her mouth, she says, if only I touch Jesus' garment. She, she physically touched Jesus' garment. She said, if only I touch him, I'll be healed. 
If, if all I do is touch the clothes that he's wearing, I will be healed. Now here's my question. How did the woman know that Jesus touching her, her touching Jesus would bring healing? You see, Jesus had a reputation. Jesus had a reputation that when he made contact with someone who was sick or in need, they were totally 100% healed. Jesus says to her, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well, and instantly she's healed. Jesus continues on to the ruler's house after that where the daughter has just died. And here's what's going on. There's a funeral that's happening. People are out mourning. People are out playing instruments. People are out there. She's dead. A funeral is going on. And Jesus shows up and he says, man, she's sleeping. She's not dead. And they laugh at him. You can only imagine the comments. Jesus, the doctor's already been here. Come on, dude. You're not a doctor. You don't know these things. Jesus says, go out. Get the heck out of here. And what does Jesus do? Jesus goes in and it says he takes her by the hand. What did Jesus do? You see, the reputation that preceded Jesus, whenever he touched someone's life, they were healed, actually happened right in front of them. Jesus physically stepped into the life of a girl who was dead, grabbed her by the hand, and brought her back to life. You see, Jesus has a reputation. When he steps into someone's life and he touches them, healing takes place. Continue with me. Verse 27. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he, what he do? What's that word? Jesus touched them. Two men who could not see, Jesus touched them. They said to him, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, according to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, see that no one knows about it, but they went away. Man, this is an awesome verse. But they went away and spread his fame through all the district. As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute, who was brought to him, uh, was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke and the crowds marveled, saying, never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, he casts out demons by the prince of demons. This next passage that we're going to read, this is, in my mind, the summary of Jesus's life. If you go, man, what is God's will for my life? If you are a follower of Christ in here, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you go, man, what's God's will for my life? I hear that all the time. Pete, what is God's will for my life? This is what it is. This is where we're going to find most of what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be going back through these stories. This is where we find what Jesus was about. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, I can only imagine as his disciples have walked with him over the stories that we just read, this is what he says to them. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Again, this morning, we're going to be looking at the essentials. If you are a follower of Christ, I believe that, that this right here, this message, this, these words from, from God's word show us the direction that we are supposed to be going. Number one, Jesus had a mission. 
If you're following along in, in, on the back of your worship guide, there should be a guideline. If you feel like it, you can uh, fill it out, or you can draw pictures of me, and, and then we'll have a contest afterwards to see who's better. Um, but here, here's the number one thing. Jesus had a mission. If, if we are followers of Jesus and he had a mission, I think it's pretty important for us to know what his mission is. And if his mission is supposed to be our mission, then we're supposed to be doing the things that Jesus did. Number one we see is that Jesus healed every disease and every affliction. I want to take you back to the beginning of what we talked about. Jesus didn't just talk about the things of God. Jesus did the things of God. Jesus didn't just have spiritual conversations. Jesus didn't just say, man, listen to these scriptures. Listen to this, listen to that. He knew that. He knew the things of God, but Jesus was defined by the things that he did, not the things that he knew. I'm going to say that again. Jesus was defined by the things that he did, not by the things that he knew. As we look back, we see five stories, or four different stories, where Jesus went up. He touched a, a, a girl who was dead. He touched a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. In fact, if you look through the other passages throughout the Gospels that actually tell the same story, it says that she, for the last 12 years, had been operated on. Physicians and doctors had tried to fix her many, many times. And they couldn't fix her. You can only imagine what what it looked like, what kind of pain she was going through. And Jesus touched her. There were two uh, there were two men who were blind. Jesus stepped into their lives and he touched them. There, were, there was a man who was demon-possessed who had a spiritual issue that turned into a physical issue and Jesus touched them. Here, here's where I'm going with this. If we are going to be the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ, we have to. This is not a, if we feel like it, if we want to be known as a follower of Jesus Christ, we have to step into people's lives and we have to touch them in a very real, in a very physical kind of way, we have to step into their lives and whatever need it is that they have in front of us, we're there to meet it. Even if we don't know how to meet it, we're there to walk through that problem with them. That was the hands, or that's what it looked like to be the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ. And here's what's really interesting is because of Jesus' reputation, it actually came to a place where if you look in almost every story of the Bible, not every, but almost every people came to Jesus. Jesus didn't even have to go to where they were. Because of Jesus' reputation, because they associated, when Jesus touched someone, they were healed, people came to Jesus. He didn't even have to go to where they were. That's pretty awesome. My question to you is, who are the people that are coming to you? If they're not coming to you, why not? Who are the people that you work with in your office that you look at them and you go, man, they need the healing power of Jesus Christ. And how are you stepping into their lives? My question is, if you're a body life group, if you're a part of a body life group or a body life group leader, how is your body life group meeting the needs of the people in your community? My question to you as a whole is Grace Point Church Bentonville. How are you meeting the needs of the community that you're in? You see, to be on mission with God, to be on mission with Jesus Christ, we have to step into people's lives and physically touch them, understanding that it is a very messy, messy thing. If there's anything that I found since, since this title pastor came onto my name, that stepping into people's lives and walking through their problems with them is a messy thing. Every person in here, you've got a past, you've got a present, you've got a future, and man, a lot of it's messy. My past is messy. 
but I know that the only way that people are going to have healing in their life is if I, Pete Finfrock, as a follower of Jesus Christ, step into their lives and go, I'm here for you. Let's do this. I want to just to catch you guys up a little bit about where Grace Point Rogers is and how we're doing those things. And this is by no means, hear me, this is no means to, to brag on what we're doing, but, man, God has just made some very uh, made a very clear path for us of how we're supposed to meet the needs uh, of the community that we're in. Again, understanding that our problem is we have 17 families and more who uh, don't even live in that area. So we're trying to, I, I'm trying to provide a platform for us to go in and meet the needs of our community. Uh, the Lord has made it very clear to me that, that our mission field, that the place that we're going to spend our time, energies, resources, finances, everything is at the Boys and Girls Club in Rogers. Uh, I worked there for uh, about two, two and a half years, and that is, that's really where God began to reveal to me, man, there is a need for a church in the downtown Rogers area. And, and so through that, I've, I've been working with the director of, of the Rogers Boys and Girls Club as well as uh, some special programs people over there. And, and I actually brought them to the Rogers campus and interviewed them in front of our church, and I said, tell me about the needs that you guys have there. Tell me about the people who show up. Tell me about the kids. Tell me about the families. L- listen to this. This is staggering. There are, uh, in the, during the school year, there are about 150 kids who show up to the Boys and Girls Club in Rogers. During the summer, there's about 350. Of, of that number of kids, 81%, in other words, four out of five of every kid that comes to the Rogers Boys and Girls Club comes from a single-parent home. 81%. Of that 81%, 83% come from a fatherless home. You can, you can only imagine what some of those homes look like. There's people in here, you've grown up without a father. You've grown up in a single household, whether it be without a mother or without a father. And, and, and that's tough, and I understand that. With that, you, the, again, the problems that come are lower finances. If you've been to the Rogers area, you know that it is a very blue-collar town. And even, even to take it a step further down, if I can, is that almost every single family that goes there is either lives at the poverty line or below the poverty line. There, there are tremendous needs just in that of people who show up to this building called the, Rod, the Rogers Boys and Girls Club. So my question was, how do we meet those needs? And so here's, here's two ways that Grace Point Church Rogers, seeing the community that we're in, that we're going to step and meet those needs. Number one, we started a mentoring program where we're going, and right now we have seven families who have, either seven families or individuals who have signed up. Every single week they are going in, they've been matched up with a kid that come from a single parent home and they are spending time with them. That's it. One hour a week, they're going into a or going in there, spending time with it. When you look at the stats of what happens when a man or a woman steps into the uh, into the life of a child, who who has a need for someone to to, to fill one of their uh, the needs in their life, the I mean their life it's it's like a, almost a 180 degree turn. We have families that are going in, being the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ again going back knowing that they have a low income many of them uh, live below the poverty line one of the things that that we found out is that many of these families can't even afford to feed their kids i know for some of us living in america that almost makes no sense at all of how that is even possible but it's very true and it's a very real need it just so happens we have two professional chefs that come to our church we have Two girl or two two uh, girls who work at Rick's Bakery in Fayetteville. You guys ever been to that place? 
uh, it's awesome. Rick's Bakery, go to it. They're cake decorators. So one of the things that we've done is the last Tuesday of every month, we're going in and feeding meals to the families. Every single Tuesday for the rest of this year, 11 more times, we went in. Uh, when was the last Tuesday of, of January? And we went in and we fed 70 people. We are meeting. We, and here's, here's what I did. When I looked around, I was sitting there. And we have our body life group showing up. We have people from Grace Point Church Rogers. They are sitting around these tables eating meals with them, getting to know the people in the community. We're meeting their physical needs. My question to you guys is how individually, as a body life group, as a church as a whole, how are you meeting the needs of the people in front of you? See, Jesus had a reputation that when he stepped into someone's life and he touched them in whatever way, whatever the need is right in front of you, those people were healed. The second part to Jesus' mission was he went and he proclaimed the gospel. That's the second point. The second part of Jesus' mission is that he proclaimed the gospel. You see, Jesus knew that when he stepped in and he touched someone's life, that that was a temporary fix. He understood that that was a very temporal thing, whether it was feeding someone, whether it was healing a disease they had, whether it was casting a demon out. But see, Jesus had something that was even bigger than that, just meeting the need from him. He proclaimed the gospel. He understood that there was a spiritual need that had to be met. Look at the verses in Luke that are up here. Luke 5, 31 through 32. And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Luke nineteen ten. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. One of my favorite verses in Scripture is Ephesians 2, 4. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, has made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. There's some people here, you may be on a spiritual journey, and you're going, man, I, you know, these Christian thing or these other things, I don't really understand it. Here, here is here's what I want to post to you, is that every single person in this room either had or has a God-sized void in their life. We, we were designed for a relationship with God, the Creator, but because of sin, our relationship with Him has been broken. And now, according to Romans 1, we search, the thi- we search for the things that God created or the things that man created to fill the need in our life. In other words, we look for, job, we, for a job, we look for popularity, we look for fame, we look for money, we look for cars, we look for you name it, whatever it is, whatever your thing is that you like, that you're drawn to, that your flesh goes, man, and I need that, that is the thing that we substitute for a relationship with God. And because of that, because God is righteous and he is holy, and we can't stand as, as men who are, are full of sin because we've turned from God, he in his righteous and holiness has to judge that. And that's not talked about very much in church. God has to judge our sin. But here's the really cool part about that, and I know that sounds scary and it's like, oh gosh, this guy's saying we're getting judged by God. Here's the really cool thing, is that God, out of his love, said, I am going to absorb the judgment that is due you by sending my son, Jesus Christ. That's good news, guys. That's the gospel. You see, Jesus Christ came to proclaim the gospel. You know what the gospel was? Him. Jesus is the good news. And it is by faith in Jesus saying, Jesus, I know that you've taken the punishment that's due my sin. And it is by faith in you and repentance of my life as I turn away that that I am set free. That's the gospel. Jesus came to proclaim that he is the way. He is the truth. He's the life. 
For some of us here, we've been walking with the Lord for 15, 20 years. Some of us have been a Christian for a long time. Here, here's what I'm going to pose to you. That the gospel isn't just for people who don't know Christ. I'm going to pose to you that for us as believers, as followers of Christ, that we have to understand the gospel because some of us, we've been stuck in the same rut. We've been stuck in the same sin our entire lives and we struggle every day, every day, every day. And here's what we do. We look and we think God looks down at us and he goes, you loser. Can't you figure it out? Now, anybody in here ever felt like that? On a weekly basis, I probably do, as I struggle through life. I mean, that's part of being a Christian. But here, man, the good news of the gospel is found in 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, for our sake, God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. And here's the good news for people who are following Christ, that when God sees Pete Finfrock, That when God sees my past, when God sees my present, when he sees my future, you know what he sees? Jesus. He sees the righteousness of God. There is freedom in a relationship with God. There is hope. There is a peace that nothing else can provide. It is my prayer that everyone in here knows the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number two, if we are going to follow Jesus Christ and to, to, to know what it is that we're supposed to do, we have to know what motivated Jesus' mission. You see, there was something just, just as, as gas, as we put gas in our car so that it'll run it, there was something in God's heart, in Christ's heart, that motivated the mission that he had. And here's what it is. It's compassion. The word compassion. If we are going to heal every disease and every affliction, if we are going to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, we have to know what motivated it. And it is compassion. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Over 40 times in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus was either described as being compassionate or looking compassionately on a crowd. Say that again. Over 40 times in the Gospels, Jesus was either called compassionate or said that he was looked at or that he looked compassionately on a crowd. You see, compassion, when when Jesus would look at someone's life and his heart would break for them, that's what motivated him. When Jesus would look at crowds who, who haven't been fed, that's what motivated Jesus. It was compassion. Now, if compassion is the thing that motivated, I think we need to know what the word means. Compassion in, in, in English, if you look at it, it's broken up into two words, calm and then passion. Calm means to be together with to be together with, and then the word passion means someone else's pain. You put it together, to be together with someone else's pain. In other words, when someone else's reality becomes yours. When someone else's reality, whether it's someone who's going through a divorce, whether it's someone who can't feed their family, whether it's You name it. Every single person in here knows someone who has a need that needs to be met. Have you ever entered into their reality with them? To where when they cry, you cry? To where when their heart breaks, your heart breaks? I'm telling you, compassion is what drove Jesus' ministry. Here's, let let me take this a step further. If you look in the Old Testament, the word compassion and love the Hebrew word for it is rakam, R-A-C-H-A-M. 
That, when, when you see the word compassion or love in the Old Testament, it's the word rakam. It is a derivative off of the word rakam, R-E-C-H-E-M. In other words, they got their word, they got compassion and love from rakam. Rakam means womb, W-O-M-B, just like a mother and, and a child as, as a woman carries the child in her womb. Let me, let me explain this to you. It, it, just from a, a personal standpoint, for the last um, for the last year and a half to two years, my wife and I have been uh, have been trying to have a kid, and for whatever reason, uh, the Lord has not blessed that or honored that, and it was His will for us to not have kids, and so we had uh, we had just kind of settled on that, and we were okay with it, and we were moving forward. Uh, we didn't understand why, but we knew that God's ways uh, were best, and that He He knew what was going on. Uh, through that, we actually began uh, going through the adoption process. We knew even before we were married that we were going to adopt. We know that we still are going to adopt and things like that. But it was on December 30th of, uh, of 2010 when my wife found out she was pregnant. And it was just a very joyous time in our heart. I mean, any, any person in here who has struggled with, with infertility or, or struggles like that, my heart goes out to you because I understand uh, the struggles that go with that. Uh, and for whatever reason, God chose to bless us with that. And so we are excited as we go, uh, as we're walking through this. One of the, the changes that I've seen in my wife uh, in, in the last month to month and a half is, man, there's like this switch came on, that, that there has been a love and a heart and just a, a totally different side of her that I had never seen that she has towards this child that she's carrying. I, I hear it when she prays. She says, God, thank you. Thank you for providing for us. You are so good. God, would you, whether it's a boy or a girl, would you raise the child up to be a man or a woman of God? I hear her in the way that, in the way that she speaks, in the way that she acts, in the way that she loves, in the way that she lives. Everything about my wife has changed. And I look at it and I go, wow. The way that she loves this child inside of her is amazing. I want to go back to where we're going. The word compassion. The same way that my wife loves the child that is inside of her is the same way that we're supposed to love those who are broken and hurting in the world. I hope you guys are following that. The same way, and any woman in here can tell you, guys, we kind of understand it, maybe don't a little bit, but the same way that my wife loved the child that's inside of her is the same way way that we're supposed to love the people in a hurting and broken world you see jesus's mission of healing the diseased and the afflicted the his his mission of proclaiming that he is the good news it was driven out of a heart of compassion that went so deep in his heart that the only thing that even made sense to him was to meet their needs my question to you do you have that compassion do you have that heart is that something that drives you and motivates you. Last part. Jesus had a mode. Jesus had a way that he was going to go about fulfilling his mission. Jesus had a way that he was going to use that motivation. And here's what it is. Followers of Christ. If you are here and you are a follower of Christ, you're the answer. No. You don't even have an option. That's the great thing about it. I mean, you cannot do it, but for you to not do it will be, will be for you to not be on mission with God. Acts 20, or excuse me, Matthew 28, 19 through 20 says, Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, 
baptize them and teach them. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Acts 2.42 through 46, Jesus establishes the church as his tool to accomplish his mission. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, but we are God's and we are Christ's ambassadors, God making his appeal through us. Here's the good news. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you're the answer. David Platt said in his book, Radical, of the series that we just went through, church, you are plan A, and there is no plan B. You see, if we are going to follow Christ and be a part of his plan and be a a part of his mission, we've got to understand that we're the answer. We've got to understand that, that the mission was driven out of compassion, a heart, and a love for people who were hurting, who were broken, who were diseased, who were afflicted, who were messy. And that's a scary thing. Don't think that I stand up here and go, come on, guys, get it figured out because I understand. And I wake up every day. Please hear this. I wake up every day with that burden on my heart going, God, I understand that you have chosen Pete Finfrock as the plan to accomplish your mission. It is my heart that every single person in here does the same thing if you're a follower of Christ. For some of you, if you're not a follower of Christ, maybe this is the first time that you've heard the gospel. You've heard what that even means. Every single person either had or has a God-sized void in their life, and the only way that that can be filled is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it is my hope this morning that you find that. Will you pray with me? Father, I know that even on a a snowy day, a day where the roads are icy, and there's a big football game on tonight, and there's life going on, and there's uh, just lots of different things It's so easy to be distracted. And God, I don't even know that week after week after week after week as we walk into a building that is here and it's comfortable and it's we just kind of have to show up. God, I understand that it's easy to just get stuck in a rut. And Lord, just my prayer even personally for me is that, God, that you'd pull me out of that rut. God, that I would be on mission with you, that, that, the, uh, God, that, that I would be the hands and the feet of Jesus, that I would meet the needs of the diseased and the afflicted, that I would proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And, Lord, that the motivation of compassion, God, would be so real. Lord, that you would break my heart for, the heart, or for, for what breaks yours, that when you see those who are hurting in need, Lord, that your, your heart is just moved. God, and I pray that over our people. And God, give us an understanding that every single day, that tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then to repeat it again, Lord, it's, it's the same. Every day we are to be on mission with you. Lord, let us not get to the end of our lives and look back and go, oh my gosh, we missed it. We sold our soul for something that is so temporal that according to 1 Corinthians 2 is going to be burnt, or excuse me, going to be tested by fire. 
And the only thing that's going to stand is whatever is on the foundation of Jesus Christ. God, it is my heart, it is my prayer, it is my cry, Lord, that we would be on mission with you. This morning, I don't know, uh, however you want to respond, respond. For some of you, there's people on your mind right now that you're going, man, that's the person that I need to step into and be the hands and feet of Jesus. There's other people in here, you don't know Jesus Christ, and you may need to talk to somebody about that. I'm going to be standing right there. It would bring me much joy to talk with you about that. Whatever's in your heart, whatever God's doing, if he's doing anything, please respond to it.